You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Do you desire a place to get away? How about three? You truly belong here among the clouds on Bespin, the first stop on your Star Tours getaway package. Stay and play in the clouds and enjoy the spectacular Galaxy in the Skies fireworks pageant every single night. The fun continues on the forest moon of Endor, where you'll sleep under the stars with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. Your third stop brings you to the peaceful world of Alderaan, where you can relax in a natural wonderland, recently voted safest planet in the galaxy by Hyperspace Traveler. This Star Tours getaway package is three times the fun in one, so ask your travel consultant to book yours today. Hi everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to continue with our Star Wars theme conversations. Up first we have Galactic Nights. Disney's Star Wars Galactic Nights. This is an event we went to a few weeks ago highlighting the upcoming Galaxy's Edge advancements and improvements and expansion of Hollywood Studios to include a lot of Star Wars theme material. But it's just a general also celebration kinda of everything Star Wars where they kinda shut down the park for the night for guests with tickets just to this event. And we're gonna give you a little bit of an insight into all the different things we've seen. This is the first time we've attended this sort of Disney-sponsored event. Then we are going to more or less conclude our reviews of the old Kenner vintage Star Wars line. We are looking at the 92 backs, the final official wave of figures that constitute primarily the what's known as the last 17, the final 17, more or less, figures, the hardest to find of all the figures, the ones that I'm still chasing after. The ones that, you know, are a very nostalgic value to a lot of people because they were, you know, not only are they the last 17, but you knew they were in trouble by the time these came out because partly because of the fact that you couldn't find them anywhere. So the distribution was pretty low to begin with, but we're going to go through them and end our basic figure line uh, reviews. So let's get started with Galactic Knights. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! 
Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. This month, we were also uh, lucky to be able to attend a Star Wars theme event. Now, normally for us, that would be a celebration or something like that, but obviously that's not going to happen for at least another year or more. So one of the things they used to have at Disney was something called Star Wars Weekends, where for a designated amount of weekends, it was I think it was three or four weekends in a row, they would have Star Wars theme events happening throughout Hollywood Studios. And that kind of stopped, I think, around the time Disney bought out Lucasfilm, I guess because they had bigger <laughs> plans in mind, which are being built right now. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about is that the event we went to was called Star Wars Galactic Nights. And this was a one day event, which is kind of weird when you think about it. It's called Galactic Nights, but it's only one night on December 16th. And what they do is they basically turn the park over to all Star Wars themed events after I think it was seven o'clock in Hollywood Studios. The main event, if you will, or the, the one of the biggest things about it is that they had four presentations. They're all the same presentation called Inside Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And that is a preview, if you will, to the park attendees, Star Wars fans, obviously, of what the new 2019 Star Wars land is going to look like. Now, keep in mind, this was an event where you had to pay extra money to get in, which, you know, it's not chump change we're dealing with here, but... You know, as a one-time thing, it's not that bad. So what, what happens is normally when you go into Hollywood Studios, you have to go to the Star Wars side of the park to experience the Star Wars-y type of stuff. But here, it, it was everywhere. They had all types of Star Wars decorations. They had people in character, in costumes, that sort of thing. And it's funny because when you normally go to the park, there are certain presentations that they do, certain attractions, if you will, where they have characters dressed up, you know, with these extravagant costumes. And you do also have certain areas where you can get photo ops with people in costume. You know, you have a, a Chewbacca place where you can get a, a picture. You have now a BB-8 place. And you also have a Kylo Ren. But what they did is that they added more characters that normally you don't see for photo op purposes. They're walking around, they're just walking around the park posing. They had the usual array of stormtroopers and first order troopers, but they also had Darth Vader walking around, uh, the Seventh Sister. You had Jawas, which are part of also the uh, launch bay area normally. You had the Death Troopers walking around. You had Ewoks walking around in certain areas too, in, especially in the indoor side. So that's one of the things you got to see. You got to see these uh, different places. There was this kind of like a scavenger hunt type of game set up for, I don't want to say kids because all the adults were doing it too. Uh, what, it, what it is is that when you walk into the park, they give you this lanyard. And in the back of the lanyard, there's these eight different locations that you visit and you get a sticker for. And in each of those locations, you also get to take a picture, sometimes with a character or some kind of a setup or something like that. I know that there was a K21B, a large, large, large statue kind of deal where people got to take their picture and put their sticker on. We got to take a picture, I think, with the, oh yeah, with the Porgs. There was a section of like a cave and a whole bunch of Porgs and you got to take a picture there. That normally was taking way too long. Like the lines were a little too long. I mean, not ridiculous long, like they are, let's say, during normal park operation hours, but they, they were 
kind of like a little way too much for us to be because we wanted to do so many other things. You got to keep in mind that most of the rides were open, so you know we wanted to get in some rides while we were there. But like I mentioned before, as we walked in, the first thing we wanted to see was the Galaxy's Edge presentation. So we headed over there, and we were. Pretty much, uh, you know, within the first, uh, I don't know, 20 people uh, waiting to be let in. So after about 30, 45 minute wait, they let us in. We were sitting pretty close to the front of the presentation. And the presentation was done at the big outdoor theater where they normally do the Indiana Jones Spectacular show. The person that introduced uh, the event was Warwick Davis, who plays Wicked, obviously, and so many other characters in Star Wars and other films. He's kind of like an ongoing MC to certain events uh, having to do with the park and also celebration. He introduced David Collins, and David Collins, who is, again, another Star Wars, he's a voice character. He used to work in uh, the sound side of uh, ILM. He also worked for the video game side. But now he's uh, he's more of a like a host. He does a lot of these event hosts, these fan event hostings. Uh, we met him a couple times before. So he introduced a whole bunch of uh, Disney uh, Lucasfilm people, including Doug Chang, who is the most known, known to me, at least from the group, who used to be the conceptual designer for a lot of the films. He still does a lot of the concept design, but he's also involved in the Imagineering side now because he's helping with the concept design of the parks, of what's happening both in Anaheim and in Orlando. So what they did is they gave us a um, kind of like a slideshow, let's say, of all the different things that are happening, you know, the updates on the parks, how things are going to look like, some exclusive information, more or less. And it was really interesting because, uh, you know, the stuff is happening right outside our door. You know, you could there are certain parts of the park where you can actually go. And if you're standing high enough in certain areas, you could actually see the construction taking place. Now, I know we're still probably over a year away from this park opening, but it was really, really interesting the type of things they showed us. They showed us, you know, all, all the different locations. Now, a lot of this artwork we've seen before, because it's a lot having to do with marketplace looking locations and streets and that sort of thing, because, you know, we've seen the the big three-dimensional CGI rendering of what the park more or less is going to be looking like. And you have these major sections where things are happening. They showed us some slides that I hadn't seen before about what it's like to be inside the Death Star. So there is going to be a way of, I'm not sure exactly how it works, whether it's a, a visual presentation, uh, some kind of a ride or something, where you're inside the hangar of, a de of the Death Star. That's really interesting. Uh, I know there's going to be, and they did say a number of times, there's going to be a Millennium Falcon ride that actually leads you through the falcon you have to walk through an actually built falcon to reach the area where the ride takes place so that's going to be interesting they did show us a lot of pictures of darth vader's castle so they are apparently building i don't know if it's you could consider it a section a locale that looks like the, his castle or if it's within a ride some sort of a destination that you visit let's say maybe part of the empire side of the ride or empire side of the park you know i don't know i'm not entirely sure exactly how that works you know its way in and uh, you know they talked a lot about the art that they were using and how the you know certain things are depicted and the shapes of like even the door frames they they're supposed to uh, kind of make you feel like you're it's being inspired by you know by Vader himself they showed us some pictures also of some of their large constructed ships that they have to you know build them to actual size uh, you know in order for them to be able to place them in the park for whether it's ride related or just decorative related where you can actually go and touch and feel and you know walk around it and that sort of thing they gave us an actual inside 
picture look of the Falcon cockpit, you know, like a panoramic view because it's built to scale. Everything has to be done to scale so you can actually walk in there and see everything. And they also showed us a slide of what looked like to be some kind of a, I don't know if you can call it an underwater or a cave kind of environment with this weird long creature coming at you. So it's kind of like a danger element. And that's one of the things they were talking about is that this world has to have a danger element to it. So it is exotic and dangerous too. They showed us some pictures of uh, some trips they took, you know, all over the world uh, to different kind of marketplaces to kind of get a feel of what these exotic markets would look like. And they also showed us that there's going to be a Tordorian um, market area that is going to be run by a Tordoria, a female Tordorian. And they said something about Tordorians are uh, this particular place that they're building is a toy shop. And they, he said something that, you know, well, that's, you know, these Toydorians, they make toys. That's the whole point of the name Toydorian. <laughs> it's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. But what's interesting is that they said that because they want to keep it authentic, that what this particular shop will be selling is universe-inspired merchandise. So in other words, it's not like you're going to get your typical Disney, you know, Mickey ears in there or lollipops or whatever. But they showed us pictures of Star Wars-inspired items that are handmade, you know, to look like they were being sold in that marketplace. It's really, really interesting how they do that. They also showed us some pictures of uh, uh, all these different drinks they're going to have, you know, they're, they're going to have all the different blue, green, yellow milks, you know, type of uh, drinks to kind of go along with the theme of, obviously, Star Wars. The presentation ran, uh, I believe, something like about 40 minutes. It's funny because I was watching the uh, the countdown clock for the people that were actually you know, operating the lights and the cameras and all that stuff and like a miniature little control room that's in the middle of that area. If you're used to seeing, you know, the Indiana Jones show, you you know, that's what they were using. It's really interesting. And they also gave out these uh, trading cards. We picked them up at the end when we were leaving the park, but they were like, oh, by the way, anybody here who, who you know, who's here at the park today will get a free set of trading cards that have pictures of Galaxy's Edge as part of the theme of the of the trading card. So that was a cute little little bonus, no big deal. And, uh, you know, that pretty much wrapped up the Galaxy's Edge part. After that, we headed to Star Tours, which we've done before, and I've, I've talked about it before. The line wasn't that bad. You got to keep in mind also that theoretically what's happening is at 6 o'clock, they closed the park, and then they let in at 7 o'clock when this event happened. So they try to somehow, I'm not sure how successful they are, but they kind of get everybody out of the park so that they can then bring in the second wave of people, which is the people that have the actual tickets for this event. So the Star Tours line wasn't that insanely, you know, crazy busy. It was, I think we only wait, it was only a 20 minute wait, which really wasn't much because you're actually walking almost all the time while you're in line. There were no, as far as we could tell, there were no fast passes available for any of the rides because this was a private event. Then what we did is we headed out to Launch Bay because we heard that there were going to be, you know, new displays having to do with Last Jedi. Uh, so we headed out there. We skipped the movie because the movie would... And even though... And I know, here's the thing. I, I, I know that they mentioned in, in the description, you know, in the little pamphlet they gave us of all the different things, that they did make some additions and tweaks to all of the movies, I believe, to include more Last Jedi-related material. But we really didn't have that much time that we wanted to kind of waste, you know, waiting for that sort of thing. So we just headed out to the actual events. So we went to Launch Bay, we skipped the movie, we went straight to the regular area of you know, of Launch Bay. We skipped the photo ops because we've done it a million times. They did have a an additional one, which was Darth Vader. And I believe 
If I'm not mistaken, uh, what they did was they put him, it might have been him, maybe a different one, but it, Vader was definitely in that area. They put him in uh, where they normally have the Chase Visa you know, exclusive photo op area, that little site area that if you show them your your credit card, I believe it is, if you happen to have that particular credit card, you have a special photo op, an additional photo op section. So I think that's where they stuck Vader. But anyway, when you go to the, not the first display area, the secondary display area, the area that comes right before the, the, uh, the, the gift shop, let's say, that's where they put their newest displays. And let me tell you about some of the displays that I saw that you know you might be able to to see next time you're there. They had a resistance pilot helmet. They had Ray's lightsaber, which is really Luke's lightsaber. They had a uh, a security guard rifle. They had Rose uh, medallion, which is very important in the film. They had a miniature resistance bomber, a resistance ski speeder, and a Millennium Falcon. Again, these are all miniature sized ones, obviously. You know, very detailed, super super cool looking. In the center of the room, they had a First Order ATM-6, which is the gorilla walker, basically. It's right in the middle, obviously behind glass, but you get to walk around the whole thing. And, you, and it's cool because you get to see, you know, all the crazy detail they put in the front, they put in the in the sides, in the back. And there's so many aspects of this particular vehicle that I think we never really got to see when we saw the film because it's so, it, goes, it just goes so fast. And to me, it seems like there's a lot of sections that are hidden that then become open as the vehicle prepares for battle. But again, things happen so fast that you don't really get to see them. But I was able to take a couple of quick, you know, cool little photos all around it. Uh, they also had uh, behind glass some of the other weapons. They had the Praetorian Guard Whip, which starts out as a sword-looking thing, and I guess, you know, in, in the movie, it then turns into a whip, you know, as, I guess as, as they activate it, which was probably, the, probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Then you had the Canto Bite police pistol. Kylo Ren's lightsaber was there. Uh, we also saw a First Order Dreadnought, the, the, the ship that we see in the beginning and, and I think uh, near the end of the film also. This new, you know, souped-up, super crazy Star Destroyer type of model. And they also had, uh, let's see, a couple of helmets on display. They had a, um, a ground crew, first order, all black kind of helmet, really creepy looking thing. And they also uh, had Kylo Ren's TIE fighter-y kind of ship too. So there was a lot of that stuff going around. We got to step that, you know, you, you get to see it. And obviously that stuff is going to stay there. You know, that will stay there probably until the next movie, I imagine, until we get the Han Solo movie, uh, which is insanely enough, only possibly five or six months away, which is, I, I cannot make heads and tails of that. How can they do that? How can they promote this thing with only so little time left, unless they ended up pushing it to the end of the year, which they should really, if you think about it. So after that, you know, we walked around some more. We tried to go to some of those photo op destinations. We went to a lot of the stores to see what was the exclusive merchandise. And I wasn't really that impressed with the exclusive. I mean, there were some items that were kind of neat. There was a certain design. There was a certain almost logo, if you will, to the event. So they try to kind of capitalize on that. The only thing I, I myself bought was a, a pin because I like pins and something that actually had the name of this place. Then towards the end, we found our way towards the center of the park uh, where they normally do the presentation, the main, you know, nighttime presentations and the stage presentations. And we waited because at, I think it was 1140 is when they were going to have the closing remarks, let's say, and then the nighttime spectacular, which is the uh, fireworks show that they do for Star Wars, which sometimes they kind of stop and sometimes they keep it, they bring it back depending on, you know, what's happening in the park. But 
it was definitely here this time. Throughout the day, they also had the regular Star Wars-y type of stuff, which is the, you know, in that main square, they usually have a stage where they do, they do the marching of the troops, which you get usually Phasma and a whole bunch of uh, First Order troopers. But this time they had Vader leading the troopers, the stormtroopers, uh, walking, you know, from the center of the park all the way to the entrance of the park, to, you know, off to a little side area. So you got this, this long march. And then you have the usual Star Wars presentation, which is a combination of monitors where, where you see clips of the film and music is happening and at the same time different characters come out to kind of pose as the film goes along they had that same presentation you know with all the original trilogy prequel trilogy and uh, you name it they're all all these characters are all over the place so getting back to the end of the presentation of the night you have first a little thank you for coming kind of a video thing from some of the dj mc types and then warwick davis comes out again again this is on video and he thanks everybody and, and shows everybody you know the, the, this picture of the of the the poster let's say of the event and tells everybody oh by the way you're also getting a free poster on your way out you'll have everything you know as you walk out and then they start the fireworks show, which is the usual fireworks show that we've seen before, which is fantastic. They do fireworks, lasers, music, video, uh, smoke, lightning. It's it's crazy. And they, just like they've done with other things that we didn't get to watch, they updated the video with so it includes a little more of the uh, Last Jedi related clips, because obviously they keep updating these things as they go along. So this wrapped up around midnight. And, you know, we were able to leave, walk out. We got a little swag bag with all our uh, our freebies in it. Everybody, you know, we all had our lanyards. We all had our, our poster, our, our trading cards. I had my uh, my pin with me. And it was a it was a it was a pleasant, pleasant night. You know, we had some fun. I don't know if I would do this every year because, like I said, it's a little expensive. And if you've never been to Disney before, or if you, let, let me put it this way, you know, if you only go once a year or once every couple of years, this is a good idea to kind of shoehorn it in so it's a little more special. But because a majority of these things are already there in the park, even now, while they're stripping it away and rebuilding it and everything, a lot of these type of events are there. I would say, yeah, you don't have to go every year. And I'm only saying every year is because every year there's a new movie now, so they're going to be promoting it you know, endlessly, you know, I would say you don't have to go that crazy over it, but to see it once, it's interesting. It's kind of like a celebration in terms of, you know, it doesn't happen necessarily every year anymore, but every now and then it's, it's okay. So if you guys ever get a chance, you might want to take a look. You can collect them all. You are a toy! Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the $6 million man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some are simply required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. All right, on today's toy segment, we are returning to our Kenner line of Star Wars action figures. We are getting very, very close to the end of the line and of this particular segment. Last time we were discussing the figures, we left off with the Return of the Jedi line, which kind of ended with the 79 backs. That gave us the introduction of Lumat and Paplu, 
two Ewoks in the line that were released with a special commemorative coin. Now, this is a kind of weird timing in why these were released in this time. Part of the reason is because these are more considered to be part of the final 17, the last 17 figures, better known as the Power of the Force line, which is what the majority of what we're talking about today includes. But for whatever reason, they decided to kind of put him at the end of the normal Return of the Jedi line. I don't know why. Maybe it was an incentive to let people know what was coming so they could kind of get a taste, a preview, if you will, of where the line was going to be heading next. What differentiates this line, the Power of the Force line, which is what it was called, you know, no longer did you have, you know, Empire Strikes Back or Star Wars or just Return of the Jedi. The card design had actually changed. Uh, they kind of followed pretty much you know, with the same format of the figure standing behind a colored background with a picture, a nice picture next to him, slightly modified and repositioned and resized the picture. But in the card backs, there was now room for an actual coin to be included on top of the figure. In the bubble, they would make a special bubble that would also hold the coin. Now, coin collecting is a whole other world. There are people that collect everything, and there are people that have a focused coin collection. Coin collection, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure it's part of the the manufacturer's reasoning, it's an incentive. It's a gimmick, if you will. It's the give the customer a little something more because the customer probably feels they're getting something less now. Now, what was the less about this whole situation? Well, with the 79 backs, you already had 79 figures. No kidding. We're about to add more figures to the line, but the problem is this. It's a year after Return of the Jedi came out. Everybody understands that the interest is fading away, slowly fading away. There are no new Star Wars films in the future. The toy line is continuing, but they're trying to kind of jazz it up a bit, if you will. So one of the smart things that they did, which I wish they would have continued if this line had continued, is instead of focusing on one film, they're going to try to now sprinkle throughout the line other characters that were probably never manufactured, you know, for the first couple of films. And we are going to talk about those as we start hitting these one at a time. The packaging, like I mentioned, it's very similar to the old one, but now you have the new logo, which is Star Wars Power of the Force, and very significantly labeled. It also says Special Collector Coin. So again, this is, in my opinion, just a gimmick, but there are people that go crazy over this stuff. They look for it all the time. So let's start with 1984, with the beginning of the Power of the Force line. One more quick thing, as I mentioned earlier, I'm only going to talk about 15 figures, even though these are considered the last 17, and as I mentioned earlier, the balance, those other two figures were the two Ewoks that we mentioned before, you know, earlier in this show. Another thing to keep in mind before we start is that a lot of figures were repackaged to include a coin. So in other words, even though you're only dealing with about 17 figures that are original, you know, this is the first time we see them, they produced a total of 27 coins. What that means is that they repackaged some older figures and added a coin to them. So that's, you know, that's nothing new. They've, they've done that many times before. That's nothing out of the ordinary in terms of repackaging figures. We've seen, you know, Luke, Darth Vader, Stormtrooper, you know, Chewbacca. We've seen main figures repackaged under Empire and Jedi card bags, just to kind of reintroduce younger kids into these main figures that, oh, wow, I want to get a Chewbacca, but guess what? 
they haven't manufactured one since Star Wars came out. So as the movies keep, you know, coming out, they keep just repackaging him. Sometimes with new card back picture, definitely with a new logo. So first figure on the line is R2-D2 with pop-up lightsaber. This is an interesting, interesting figure because on the outside, it looks almost exactly like any old R2-D2 that's been put out before. It looks like the original, except it has a hole on his head. <laughs> a little bit similar to how the sensor scope R2 from Empire looked. But in the place where the hole is, what they have is a green lightsaber, a modern, if you will, uh, Kenner modern, a green lightsaber to match what Luke would have, you know, during Return of the Jedi. The pop-up feature is one where if you place the lightsaber and keep in mind the lightsaber will not go in all the way in it's impossible to make it go all the way in it's too large but it's there enough so that if you kind of twist the top from what i understand the lightsaber would actually pop out a little bit you know off of r2 this is a hard to find figure in the secondary market and this entire line is the line that i completely completely missed out on uh, when it first came out as figures were becoming harder and harder to find I kind of gave up. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, <laughs> but I kind of gave up on it and moved up to other things at that time. Even the first two, the Pat Blue that I talked about earlier and the Lumat, never found those originally. All of these figures that I'm talking about now, I was able to find, I would say maybe within the last 10 years in the secondary market, either through eBay or Facebook groups or conventions, actually. I, 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 I were able to find some in conventions and obviously I would get them in rough shape or in decent shape. A never card back at this time, you know, they're way too expensive to get card backs. Plus, because you have that secondary incentive of the coin, uh, they're even more expensive because it now appeals to coin collectors, you know, that sort of thing. So an actual mint, you know, carded last 17 type of figure, Power of the Force, I would never get my hands on something like that. But anyway, R2-D2 is one that I was looking for. I've been looking for. I couldn't find one of a decent price. So for my purposes, which again, this is my way of collecting. I collect open figures, good to rough shape <laughs> condition. They're displayed in a glass case. So for my purposes, my version of R2-D2 is a sensor scope R2-D2 that I removed the sensor scope and I inserted a lightsaber, a green lightsaber. So to me, you know what? If one day I run into one and I'm able to buy it at a decent price, great. I can substitute it. But for now, what I have is like these placeholders. I like to call them placeholders. They are representations of the figures that I'm still looking for to kind of hold its place for the eventual, hopefully one day when they show up. So that's the R2-D2, you know, Return of the Jedi version. Because actually, if you think about it, they hadn't put out a Return of the, a Return of the Jedi R2-D2. Up next, you have the A-Wing Pilot. Now, the A-Wing Pilot is a Excellent figure. Once again, Return of the Jedi, we mentioned this way earlier, the figures got better and better as the toy lines and the movies came along. This is a completely original sculpt. You know, he's green. He's got the unusual headgear that we've seen with the B-Wing pilot slightly a little bit. You know, he's got a completely different outfit. The sculpt does look different than the B-Wing. It's similar in terms of how, you know, it's it's a jumpsuit basically with a with a chest harness and an unusual helmet. But it does look different. There's different, it fits different on the character. Even the chest unit is a different shape. What's interesting about this figure is that if you didn't find it as an individually carded figure, later on when they put out the droids line of figures based on the cartoon, he was also included with the ship. 
So in other words, if you bought the A-Wing, which was only available uh, finally when they put out the droids toys, he was an accessory that came, you know, he was a figure included with that ship. Which means if in the secondary market, when you buy one of these, you don't exactly know where it could be coming from. It could be coming from a carded figure or it could be coming from a packaged box, you know, ship package. This figure comes with an A-Wing pilot's blaster, which is the typical Endor blaster, the one we mentioned a couple shows ago that Leia is holding. That's the typical, that's the kind of gun they give him to hold. Up next, you have Han Solo in Carbonite. Now, this is an interesting, really interesting figure. It's got some plus and minuses. The biggest feature about this figure is that the accessory is the block of Carbonite. Now, up until this point, they had not put out a carbonite block for your action figures the closest thing we had to it which is what i is the plasticky black carbonite block that came with the slave one ship which is slightly out of proportion it's a little too small if you think about it and it's all one color <laughs> i think it had some stickers on the side and that's the only one i've ever had and i've ever known and i have it in there as part of my collection this one came with a han solo wearing the shirt that he's wearing, you know, during the carbon freezing chamber scene, and the block of carbon, <laughs> if that's what we call it. Now, what's interesting is that the block itself, the outline or the surface of actually Han Solo is slightly translucent, dark but translucent. So you could place the figure behind the block, and you do kind of get to see the shape of his face behind the block. And then you can just remove him from the block and have him act out as a regular action figure. What's a little uh, different also about the action figure, which is unusual because, you, you know, these figures do keep getting better and better. But for whatever reason, I don't know if they did it on purpose so it fits better in the block or it was just a manufacturing decision. I don't know, a sculpting decision. But Han Solo looks very top muscular. For some reason, the shoulders are super, super wide and the waist, you know, kind of narrows you know you get that hourglass shape that tough guy <laughs> look if you will also his neck is very thick and this is funny because you know if you think about it the history of the han solo figure off the beginning they always had problems at first his head was a little too small and then his head was a little too big <laughs> not until empire did they finally get the head proportions pretty good and even the earlier return of the jedi version of han solo proportions are pretty good but here they kind of went a little bit haywire on him, which is weird. Now, another thing I wanted to keep in mind is that with this new Power of the Force line, the prices are staying steady at $299, which, again, I wish we could have $299 again. But they at least haven't, uh, you know, increased the price, so that's kind of good. Well, our next figure is the Imperial Dignitary. Now, here is a really, really different-looking figure that, you know, you never expect you would get. And this is a character that... It's kind of in the background, you know, you don't see too much of them, but there's a number of them that you do see very briefly on the film. But if you then do some searches on the internet, you can find pictures of all the actors together and you can kind of say, okay, that's the one that they had. And obviously on the box, you know, on the, on the card back, you could see who they're talking about. And the Imperial Dignitaries are kind of like the Emperor's advisors, if you will. His, his, they're almost like religious governmental gurus uh, that kind of hang around the emperor you don't know much about them you know you don't know from watching the film you i mean like i said you blink and you miss them but they decided to create a figure out of them very uh, colorful in terms of you know purple and and kind of like a red uh, shirt the purple robes a big popey kind of 
purple hat and then greenish skin tone that makes him look kind of sickly i guess to, to kind of go along with the emperor's uh, complexion no accessories on this figure it's just a standing figure uh, you do have the five points of articulation but similar to what they did with the emperor they decided not to use any soft goods so even though this character is completely covered in cloaks and and robes if you will just like the emperor everything is Plastic, hard plastic manufactured. Again, hard to tell why they would do certain things and not do certain things. I, I, I Maybe it's cheaper to just do it in plastic. I mean, obviously, they save a lot of money on painting and manufacturing because when you have this, you know, practically solid purple block of plastic, you know, you don't have to waste too much time with applying you know, detail or adding, you know, a, a soft good that probably would cost extra money. You know, so that might be the reason why they decided to go that way. In the secondary market, once again, because I've gotten these figures in the secondary market, a lot of times what you will find is for whatever reason, manufacturing error, design error, I don't know, the nose of the figure will be off. It'll have chipped away. So you have this little purplish kind of dot on his nose <laughs> indicating that it's been, uh, you know, broken. Unfortunately, most of them look that way that are affordable, and that's what I ended up getting. You know, sooner or later, I will try to get some putty or some kind of material that kind of dries. I forget the name of it. I have it written down somewhere, uh, you know, to customize figures. I will try to, like, finish off the nose and paint it to the proper color if possible. But not ready for that right now. At least I have the figure, and he's there standing where he should. I did mention earlier also the other previous two figures, the Han Solo and the A-Wing Pilot. Also, you know, I have those two. Secondary market, eBay, that sort of thing. Uh, A-Wing Pilot, I could have swore I got my A-Wing Pilot actually from England, <laughs> from a seller in England. I think it came from very far away. And my Han Solo, I don't remember. I got him by himself, no carbon block. I do not own the carbon block. That was too expensive to get as a set or even by itself. But I'm always looking out. You never know. Somebody might have one. Even if somebody is casting them themselves, I might be interested in buying one again as a placeholder. Next character is the Imperial Gunner. Now, the Imperial Gunner, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best figures they put out in terms of detail and how damn cool it looks. And what's interesting about this character is that even if you bought it today, it would look so modern because it just looks so good. You know, there's such a big difference between, like, for example, the old Stormtrooper. You know, no neck articulation, very stiff shoulder. You know, shoulders are very high up and stiff. And a Stormtrooper you would buy today, let's say, even in three and three quarters. But this Imperial Gunner, it just, to me, it just still looks amazing. And unfortunately, this is one of the ones I'm still looking for. I still cannot seem to find a good price on that. You know, they they go for at least, I, I you know, anywhere between 70, 80 bucks, you know, to start loose, uh, maybe in rough shape. So I'm still trying to look for a bargain here and there, maybe a $30, $40 one. But it's, those are really hard to find. His particular accessory is, uh, again, an indoor blaster, just like Leia. Those indoor blasters are very popular. <laughs> we do have some original accessories coming up in this line, but so far we're sticking to the old uh, indoor blaster. Uh, granted, in the film, you never see him wearing it. You never see him using it. This particular character, you know, you do see, I do remember seeing him more prominently doing uh, New Hope. You know, he's one of those gunners that is just three or four of them that are kind of manning these big guns that are shooting, you know, from the Death Star. And in uh, Return of the Jedi, you do kind of see them. 
I don't know if they actually reshot those scenes or they used recycle shots from New Hope. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure you might also see them during the uh, Emperor's assembly. There might have been a few in the background there standing in attention with the rest of the troops. I would have to look. But uh, yeah, it, this is one that I'm still looking for. And man, I just, it, it just irks me that it's so hard to find. Now, what, what's interesting about this character is also that you could say, you could say that he is part of Star Wars. So you could kind of say, but, but like I said, but, but because I believe he also appeared in Return of the Jedi, it could go either way. Now, this next character is definitely a new hope. And I'm talking about Luke Skywalker, Imperial Stormtrooper outfit. What you have here is a Stormtrooper body with a Luke Skywalker head. This is definitely the reason why this line is the way it is. This is this gives you, you know, the the reaffirms the theory or the fact, you know, that here's where we start mixing it up and this is where I wish the line would have continued. What they did here is they manufactured a stormtrooper body. Now, what's interesting about the stormtrooper body is that it is slightly different than the old stormtrooper. Like I mentioned earlier, this the old stormtrooper had no neck articulation and very narrow shoulders. Here they kind of, um, it's possible they might be using similar arms and legs, but the body itself, it's a little more uh, buff, if you will, uh, you know, uh, slightly narrower hips, wider, wider shoulders, chest and shoulder area, and a Luke head. Now the Luke head looks very original. I don't think it had been used anywhere else. He has a much darker color hair, and it seems to be kind of flat on his head. Obviously, they're trying to simulate his hair being wet and darker looking because it's wet. He's normally like a blondish, dirty blonde type of color. And if it gets wet, it looks darker. So that's what they were going for. With that said, this is such a great figure because it also comes with a Stormtrooper helmet that fits over the head. And a typical Stormtrooper blaster, you know, like the original ones in uh, New Hope. Now, what's interesting about the helmet is that... In order for the helmet to be able to fit on the head, they had to compromise and make his head a little possibly smaller than normal. So what you have here is a head that might be comparable to the original Han Solo small head figure. You know, to shrink the head that much, and obviously the hair is wet so you can get away with flattening the hair part when, you, you know, when you're sculpting. That's what it takes for you to be able to fit the helmet over the head. If you put the helmet over the head, it looks like a, a stormtrooper. I mean, it looks like, like a more modern stormtrooper because, again, the, the chest proportions are a little different. But you remove the helmet, and there's Luke, and there you got, there you have it. There's your Luke, you know, in stormtrooper outfit. Looking at this figure, you would kind of figure that down the line, all they had to do was take the same mold and put a Han Solo head, and and you kind of you could you could smell it that they were going to do that. They they had to do that. That was coming. If this line would have lasted a little longer, sooner or later you would have gotten your Han Solo, you know, in Stormtrooper outfit action figure. But fortunately, that never happened. All we got is this one. Now this one is a hard to find one, just like every single one else of these last wave figures. I was never able to get one so far. So what I did. Again, because I'm a little bit into customizing, I found a person on one of my Facebook groups, one of my Star Wars action figure Facebook groups, who was selling casts of Stormtroopers with five points of articulation. So it's basically the regular Stormtrooper body and proportions, more or less. And he might have, I'm not entirely sure, but he might have cast his molds from this particular figure, this more modern Luke Skywalker figure. And what he did was he popped a 
Stormtrooper head on it. So he's basically selling in pairs, they come as two, two Stormtroopers, five points of articulation with, you know, that are cast, that are not made out of the same material. Now, what's interesting is that the head, you can pop off the head. So that's what I did. I bought a pair, popped off the heads of both pairs, and then found an acceptable Luke Skywalker head to put on them. My particular version, I believe I might have used an original New Hope Luke, because again, it kind of matches the era <laughs> of the figure. It doesn't look exactly like this one. And with my other one, I put a Han Solo head on it. So again, as my placeholder, now I do have my own version of a Stormtrooper Luke, and I do have a Stormtrooper Han, which is, you know, you know that never eventually came out as part of Kenner original line, but I do have them as part of my group here. And to me, they look fantastic. They have a, I carved out the helmet a little bit so that you can, you can't necessarily put it over the head because the heads are too big, the original heads to fit into this helmet, but at least he can either hold the helmet or I have it, you know, next to his feet, you know, that the helmet is there for that. So that's how I kind of cobbled together my version of a Luke Skywalker. As we jump to 1985, time is passing Interest is uh, diminishing more and more and more. It is harder to find these figures. I got to, I'm telling you, I got to a point where I just, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, there was no places left to go. The problem was that even where I lived, the old toy stores I used to go to didn't exist anymore. I would have to go into Manhattan. So if I happened to be working like summer job type of work, I would be able to kind of venture into some of these like Forbidden Planet and some of these other Manhattan stores that specialized in action figures. And it was just impossible. It was just impossible. Nowadays, I understand that a lot of people were finding these figures like in the clearance racks at KB, for example. But back then, I didn't have KB. I didn't. I, I didn't know where KB was. Uh, it wasn't in my area. As a matter of fact, we had. I had no main chain toy stores. I had no WalMarts. I don't think I had a Toys R Us near me. Most of my stuff, if not all of it, at this point in time, was coming off of specialty stores. There was no online service. Uh, you know, it was hard to to collect back then. You know, and again, as the line diminished, you know, the supply kept uh, dwindling. But anyway, for the first 1985 figure we have is a Man of Man. Now, here's a tough one, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you ever have one. What's interesting about a Man of Man is that aside from being able to buy it as a Power of the Force figure, it was released with a version of the Jabba Dungeon set. Now, the Jabba Dungeon set is something that has been repeated a number of times, and it comes from the old droid set, Droid Factory. But this time around, they went for one more repaint job, and they painted tan, or they cast it in tan, a lighter color than before. I think before there was a there was a, a gray version the last time we explored it. But this time around, they repainted it again, or they recasted it again, and a man of man was one of the figures you would get there. As I mentioned many times before, again, I didn't have access to Sears. I didn't know what Sears was. Didn't know about any of their exclusives, so I can never get my hands on this one. A Man of Man comes with an accessory. A few minutes ago, I was complaining about no accessories, no original accessories. He comes with this staff. And because I guess the made-up history for his character is that he's supposed to be some kind of headhunter. So he's got this woodenish kind of staff with all these different sections and these skulls are attached. You know, because I guess those are his victims. Ooh. Scary looking guy, I guess. Very hard, again, hard to find figure. Even in the secondary market, it's nearly impossible to get a, a cheap price one. My particular 
experience with it was that I was able to finally get one. I believe, let me think, at a convention recently, but he was missing an arm. <laughs> He's missing an arm. So what I did is this, and he was missing the original staff. So what I did was I was able to get a cheap used modern amount of man who is very similar to this one. They didn't change the design way, way, way too much. And I removed its arm and I have its accessory. So my, my particular amount of man is holding a modern accessory and one of his arms, which from back here, I can't really tell which one it is. It might be his right arm, it might be his right arm is a modern right arm. Uh, so instead of having a placeholder figure, I have a placeholder arm and accessory on him. Uh, and I'm very happy that, you know, uh, I'm able to own, uh, 80% of an original Kenner, uh, Amana Man. <laughs> now the one that I have, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was a carded or I don't know if it came from a Sears exclusive. I couldn't tell you, you know, not entirely sure. I guess I could check the manufacturing date. Maybe there's some mark on them that tells you where, you know, which, where it ended up at. Up next, we have Anakin Skywalker. Ooh, Anakin Skywalker from Return of the Jedi. This is the ghost version of Anakin Skywalker. Now, what's cool about this figure is that, yes, not only was it available as a Power of the Force figure, it was carded, but when I got it, I got it earlier as a mail-away, a five-proofs-of-purchase mail-away that was offered earlier. So I never owned the card-back portion of this figure. I just owned the figure, and that's the one I have now. This is a pretty cool looking figure. It's the ghost version of Anakin uh, because, you know, he's dressed in those robes. But back then, you really couldn't do too much to indicate the ghost effect, you know, look of the figure. As opposed to now where they use translucent plastics and all kinds of bluish looking stuff. Back then, they basically manufactured a solid one and gave it kind of like a grayish tint to him. You know, in other words, the robes are probably supposed to be brown, like Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of robes. But they're slightly kind of faded looking color, uh, muted colors, if you will. Even the flesh and the skin tones, they're very yellowy and super light gray hair. So, you know, they, that's how they were able to represent that. Uh, this particular figure, I believe I mailed away five proofs of purchase, my final, you know, mail away from all my figures. And, you know, he is kind of neat, no accessories. You know, you still have those coins ro rolling around. I don't because obviously mine was a mail away. But, uh, you know, kind of like a no-frills kind of figure. He really doesn't do much because in the film, he just kind of stands there and smiles, you know, when he's in this Jedi robe uh, attire. Now, what's interesting about this figure, again, for customizers, you know, is that you can take an Anakin figure, remove his head, and put an Obi-Wan head, and maybe even color it a little bit differently, and now you have Ghost of Obi-Wan because he's got the same kind of robes. So that's really kind of cool. And I've seen other people, you know, that go all the way with creating a Jedi Luke, which was theorized back then, by using this figure and a different type of head for Luke and that sort of thing. And even now with, with Last Jedi coming out, I've seen people who, uh, you know, get the bearded Luke and make a Kenner version figure, you know, to kind of correspond with this new movie. But it's kind of like a no frills type of action figure. Nowadays, if you want it, you can probably find it in the secondary market. I would say for as low as maybe $20, $25. So it's not a super hard to find type of figure. Up next, you have Barada. Oh boy, Barada. Does he have a history? Well, Klaatu Barada Nikto. He is part of the Holy Trilogy of, 
of uh, you could say Evil Dead or uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> Pick one. It's up to you. The Barada figure, similar to Amana Man, also was released as part of that Sears Jabba Dungeon uh, repaint uh, set. Uh, he was another one of those, uh, you know, freebies that you would get with that set. And it would be a carded figure also, obviously. Now, what's interesting about Barada is that the picture does not match the figure. And the reason was is that there is some confusion as to which character that is. There were at least two similar characters created for the film that appear on, you know, on screen. One of them is called Barada. The other one is called Kithaba. And they look very different and they're wearing similar clothes. The thing is that the toy really doesn't match exactly the picture. And because of there being two different characters, there is some discrepancy in terms of the names. It's a possibility that they got the names mixed up. Could be one of these uh, suckers forlorn scenarios all over again. But for the sake of argument, this is your Barada figure. When you're looking for a Barada, this is Barada. He does look, again, as many of these newer figures a little more buff. And I don't know, maybe this was the beginning of the He-Man uh, craze where they, they needed to buff up all of your action figures. I do not know. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's a possibility. He did come with an accessory, which is a battle staff. I'm not sure how original that is. It might've been used on other ones. I'm not entirely sure at this point, but this one is one that I was able to find in the secondary market. Again, not sure if it came from the Seer set or the individual one. All right, up next we have EV99. Now, this figure is one of the droids that Jabba employs, I guess. And this is the droid that interacts with R2-D2 as he's uh, being assigned a job at Jabba's palace. The figure is a pretty good-looking figure, completely, completely original. Again, the sculpt is fantastic, similar to the other whitish kind of droid that we talked about earlier there's just absolutely nothing they can reuse from this figure because it's so original this is one of those very hard to find kind of figures it is one that is still eluding me and similar to my amana man this is a figure that a lot of times shows up with missing limbs especially arms what I'm told is that the arms are very fragile, the the shoulder sockets, I guess, and that a lot of times when I go to these different Facebook groups, people are asking for, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars or more, and they they might be missing an arm. That's why a fully unbroken one uh, could cost you over a hundred dollars. As I said, this is one that I'm still searching for. It's one of my missing ones. This particular figure, similar to a few of the other ones we just talked about, also was part of that Sears Jabba's dungeon set. And, uh, you know, it's like, wow, I wish I could have gotten my hands on that because right off the bat, you get in that set, you would have gotten three of the last 17 figures that are just about impossible to get these days. No accessories included in this one and comes with a coin like the other ones. Then you have Lando Calrissian, the general pilot costume, which is basically a different costume for him. It's a version of him for the Return of the Jedi line. Basically, that's what it is. He has one accessory, which is a blaster, and it's the Luke blaster from um, Return of the Jedi. It's that kind of triangular kind of pointy one. He does come with a cape. He does have a cape like he like you do see him in the middle of Return of the Jedi, and he is wearing his general uniform, let's say, which is pretty cool. For this particular figure, 
I was able to get him single without the cape, without the gun. But later on, through other eBay purchases, I was able to find a manufactured cape. Again, it's not an original cape, but at least it's something that resembles the cape pretty, pretty faithfully. This is a good sculpt. It's a, a little different than the Empire sculpt, I would say. And that it's even a little different, and it's pretty different. <laughs> it's very different than the uh, than the Jabba Skiffguard disguise that he's wearing in the previous figure that he came out with. The uniform is pretty accurate to what we've seen in the movie. The figures are still a little too top-heavy as far as I'm concerned. You know, very wide shoulders. But I guess that was just the style of the time and the, and the direction they were going. This is a figure that, while not being the rarest of them all, it is still kind of overpriced. You know, you might have to pay somewhere between 40, 50 bucks, maybe a little more, you know, for a loose one like I did. So it is one of these kind of like middle of the road, hard to find type of figures. Then you have Luke Skywalker in Battle Poncho. Now here is an unusual figure. Basically what you have here is the companion piece to the Leia in Endor you know, poncho gear. But what makes this figure a little different is that, number one, the helmet does not come off. The helmet is molded into the head, which is a shame because being able to remove the helmet is such a cool feature that the Leia one has. Now, granted, the most likely reason why they couldn't do that, I would imagine, is because they would have had to make the head a lot smaller. And then you go back to that problem of a figure looking slightly out of proportion when you make a head so small. I guess with Leia, it works because the figure is smaller to begin with, so her head will be smaller. And then the helmet theoretically becomes a little bigger than normal, but it kind of works. But in this particular case, it doesn't work. They had to do it that way. Now, as far as the accessories go, you have a typical Jabba Palace blaster, like same one Lando had before. You have a poncho that goes over him, but his is more kind of slightly brownish as opposed to Leia's that's a little more greenish. You know, it's the same kind of pattern, the same kind of material, just a slightly different color. And a belt that wraps around him to kind of keep the poncho in place, just like the Leia belt that keeps her poncho in place. Now, what's also interesting about this particular figure is that it's a slightly different sculpt as far as the body goes, even though theoretically you don't see much of the body because of the poncho is covering him, but it is kind of made so that you could remove the poncho if you wanted to and use him that way. Uh, what's unusual about the figure is that it does not come with a lightsaber. And that's a little odd. I mean, there is a scene in the movie where he is deflecting, you know, blaster bolts from the speeder bike with his lightsaber, so you could kind of say, well, you could have used the lightsaber then. But what's really interesting about this figure is that the clothing he's wearing, the specific style of his shirt, or jacket, if you will, is exactly what you do see with the throne room duel at the end. So it's kind of weird how you kind of cannot entirely use this figure, you know, if you wanted to do some kind of a throne room battle you know, as a kid. Now, what a lot of customizers have done is they have swapped heads with the other Luke, the Luke that came first in Return of the Jedi. This way, you can at least be able to use him as a, or display him as a throne room Luke. I've seen some people even do the slight opening of the tunic, you know, that little triangle that exposes the white. I know it's all very uh, symbolic. You know, you have Luke dressed in black with a little sliver of white, I guess, signifying, you know, he is a good guy, that sort of thing. But th that has been done. I've seen that done before. 
And, you know, this is a pretty cool looking figure. I mean, it, it does come with a lot of accessories if you think about it. <laughs> I was able to also get him, you know, secondary market, not too crazy expensive. I may, would imagine maybe it was in the 20s or low 30s or something like that. You know, not a crazy price. And I believe I might have gotten a second one at some point from a lot because I was and I am planning on eventually customizing one uh, by doing exactly what I said before, removing the head and putting a plain head without a helmet and then doing the tunic swatch in the top. Then we have Rumba. Rumba is another one of these Ewoks they produced. A lot of, you know, they, we, they had quite a number of variations on the Ewok selection. This is one of the last ones. You know, we're still theoretically dealing with the 92 backs because when you add all these last 17 figures, the line increases to about 92. This particular Ewok is kind of like a brown reddish color with a little brown hood over his head. He is holding his spear and molded into his fur, you have a belt that goes around them. Uh, one noticeable thing about this particular figure is that the different kind of variations that they've done with the Ewoks, not so much variants, but just to kind of make them look a little different sculpt-wise, is that they have him with his mouth kind of slightly closed, but you can kind of see his teeth. There are a few figures where the mouth is slightly more open and you see more teeth or less teeth and something like that. And some, you know, so they, they try to kind of vary them in that, that way a little bit. Then you have another Ewok called Warrock, who is more of a grayish tan kind of color. He does have a brown hood over him. And what's interesting about him, he comes with a bow and a quiver of arrows that you know he can sling around his uh, his shoulder that's removable and as opposed to the usual you know molded on type of details now he still does have this kind of mid high belt thing that's again molded into and he does have a different a slightly different mouth opening where you can kind of see the teeth a little bit again with the different variations, sometimes they paint the lips so they kind of highlight them a little bit. Sometimes they don't. So that's the, the most they could really do. Again, when you compare them to today's or the latest version of Ewoks that they put out in the three and three quarter line for Hasbro, for example, it is night and day. Some of the stuff they make now is just incredible how photorealistic they are and the colors and the detail. But again, compared to the first ones that they put out, these are an improvement in the, in, you know, in the sculpt and in the painting and the accessories. The final figure we have is Yak Face. Now, Yak Face is a very difficult figure. <laughs> it was technically never sold in the American market because I guess it was the last one and they were winding down and they were just not, I guess they were just not into it. <laughs> there was two possible card backs that you might've seen this in. One of them is the Tri-Logo card, which is the generic European card that you do see you know with a lot of these figures the other one is a french canadian card again there was no actual final power of the force american version of this figure carded most of the people that have it they've gotten it through europe or canada whether open or closed or you know sealed or not sealed that's where it came from yak face is a goatish looking figure he does have a staff because he's one of Jabba's minions and is probably considered to be the hardest one to find from the last 17. In terms of price, you know, it does show up every now and then. But, you know, you're talking into the possible 
over $100, close to $200, maybe even more sometimes depending on the condition, depending on whether it's loose, carded, on card, you know, that sort of thing. It is probably one of the holy grails for collectors of old Kenner figures. Now, this is obviously without going into the crazy, insane, uh, you know, rocket-firing Boba Fett type of figures, or if you go even beyond this line into the droids slash Vlicks, if you know what that means. But I'm talking about just the simple, you know, official Kenner Star Wars movie figures. That's what I'm talking about. This one is one of those very difficult ones to find. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, your your vinyl Cape Jawas are very hard to find, very expensive. But, you know, because of the, the nature of this line just kind of dying, this is one specific figure that just did not make any major push on. My particular version that I have is a reproduction. Found somebody that makes reproductions, they cast them, they're not posable, they're not, you know, they don't have articulation, they're hand-painted. And for me, it serves its purpose. It's the placeholder. I probably will never have a real one. You know, you have to be realistic sometimes at that. Some of these are never, you're never going to get. You're just plain and simply never going to get. Something like a yak face, I cannot imagine ever being able to afford one. Something like, for example, a rocket firing Boba Fett. You know, I'm never going to have an original one, but I ended up buying, you know, a reproduction. You know, they made reproductions of them. They actually even remade them, period, as a, you know, as a gimmicky kind of figure. And I did find a, a person that also makes the monochrome, whether they're gray or kind of purplish hue, solid. They're supposed to look like, um, you know, prototypes with an actual rocket you can put in the back with a spring. You know, I, I found those and I bought one, you know, just to have on my collection for that sort of thing. Just like I have a vinyl cape Jawa that is not original, obviously. I have a regular jaw and I put a reproduced vinyl cape on them. Again, it all depends on your collecting style. It's up to what you want. You know, it is possible, you know, you you could be a authentic collector that you only display authentic pieces. And but that's fine. You know, it's it's whatever you're into. There is no right or wrong. I always say to people, because I know how, especially in some of these groups, how emotional people get about reproductions and you know, that they're garbage and this and that, and you're hurting the market. It's like, I always say the same thing. As long as you're being honest about what you have, there shouldn't be a problem. You know, if you're buying something that you are under the impression is original, legitimate, you know, vintage, that's what it should be. People should not be selling things pretending that they are vintage when they are really reproductions. If all you can afford is a reproduction, then that's fine. I mean, that works with everything in your life, in our lives, in my life. You know, I have posters here that are not original, but I enjoy them anyway. And that's fine. They serve their purpose. You know, you do not have to live in a museum, you know, in a certified museum for it to be something that's enjoyable. So that's basically the end of the last 17 line. As I mentioned before, a lot of these figures, very few of these last 17, I have actual original ones that I, I got when they came out. I have a proof of purchase, uh, you know, Anakin, that, that kind of, theoretically, I could say, yes, I did actually own that, you know, when, when it came out, uh, but I, it was never carded. The majority of these figures uh, I purchased through, like I said, eBay conventions, Facebook groups. You know, even these last two Ewoks I mentioned, you know, I got them through uh, Facebook groups and a lot of them were missing the accessories. Like I, I was able to, you know, you pay 20 bucks, but 
you don't get the specific uh, quiver, let's say, or the specific arrows or this or that or the other, uh, you know, specific spear. Uh, it all depends uh, on what's available at the time and what you can afford. Plus, a lot of them are just down and out reproductions. I get reproductions sometimes because on the case of, like I said, Yak Face, it's something I'm probably never going to be able to afford. And in the case of others, it's just a placeholder because I know that sooner or later I'm going to find that particular one I'm looking for. But you know what? In the meantime, it fits my collection or my collecting style. Now, the Kenner line has expanded beyond these figures, uh, even for the original. You know, there were plans on making other lines, you know, not only continuing this line, but going in a different direction that we shall talk about in a future episode. And there are other figures that were not sold specifically as figures, but they are characters that I'm not sure if I talked about before, but I will be talking about in the future. It's kind of like the misfits, if you will, of the action figure line. But that's a story for a future episode. And this kind of wraps up the vintage standard waves of Star Wars Kenner action figures. It is estimated that approximately 250 million action figures were produced and sold between 1978 and 1985. That's a lot of figures. And the card backs themselves, as I mentioned before, ended with 92. So we went from the original 12 backs to the final 92 backs. Not bad for the Star Wars franchise. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We first started out at Disney, Hollywood Studios, talking about Galactic Knights, Star Wars Galactic Knights, you know, and all the uh, upcoming Galaxy's Edge-related presentation that we were there to view, and all the other different Star Wars-themed attractions and, you know, one-nine event type of uh, displays that they had chronicling uh, Star Wars, basically. Then we jumped over to our Star Wars original, you know, Kenner action figure figure line, the 92 backs, the final, final line, which included all of the last 17, the famous last 17 figures. This is uh, the, the line that, you know, I was the most... <laughs> <laughs> not able to find and I'm still searching for some of these figures however this is in the end we do have at least another vintage type of profiling segment coming in the future having to do with Kenner because there's a lot of kind of like misfit figures figures that kind of come with other materials or play sets or you know things that are not exactly individually carded but for us collectors, you know, they are theoretically either a droid, a character, or a creature. So we kind of have to lump them into some, you know, shape or form of a category. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next time we deal with the uh, vintage Kenner figures. The Misfits, more or less. And just a warning, we are going to be staying with the Star Wars topic. On the next episode, we are going to have a second round of The Last Jedi reviews we're going to take another view from a different person see how they feel about it and you know compare them to mine and hopefully you guys uh fall somewhere in between us so on behalf of everybody here at geek fest rants we'd like to thank you for listening and please join us next time here at geek fest rants bye-bye everybody
don't scare me, Darth Vader, because I have the strength of the Force. You cannot hide. I'm a Jedi Knight, and the Force is the strongest power in the universe. Your powers are weakening, Vader, but the Force is strong in me. I can feel it. Feel the Force with Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Figures, vehicles, and playsets, each sold separately, only from Kenner. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2017. <laughs>